Welcome to the Chicago Bears Podcast. A presentation of ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Here's your host, Pat, the designer. Paradigm Bears fans, welcome into another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Pat the designer in the building. Courtney Cronin literally in the building. She was there for minicamp today. We'll get all the insight on minicamp. Also hearing from what the Chicago Bears are talking about. Coach Flew spoke at the podium today. Justin Jones, Nate Davis, Eddie Jackson. We'll get into all that. And then Waukegan throwing their hat in the ring. <laughs> I, I, I'm from North Chicago. Like, I, Waukegan? All that more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Let's get into the show. Courtney, first things first, how are you today? You know, we're good. Minicamp's here. It means that the finish line's in sight, and you get to finally see a little bit more of the team stuff that you didn't get to see during OTAs. So it's coming together, but I also have to caution people it's June. You cannot overreact to what you're seeing on the field right now. But it's an overreaction Tuesday. It's what we do. Is that what we're calling today? Okay. I think any day that the Bears do anything is an overreaction, whatever that day is. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, that's what you get at this time of year. And people want to see live action. I think that it's hard to judge uh, where this team is, like, truly. And even Matt Eberflus talked about that today. Just with the fact that they're not in pads means that, you know, it's hard to tell where the offensive line is. It's hard to tell just how effective the pass rush is. But we're getting closer. We're getting closer to that point when they actually put pads on. But uh, I am in the minority. I want the next, like, six weeks to creep by until we get to training camp. Yeah, no, you you are definitely in the minority for very different reasons, though. You you have to be there every day. So it may, <laughs> makes a little bit of a difference. First things first, shout out to the Mike guy today in the press conferences. He did a good job. He was great today. Heard all the questions from the from the reporters, from you. The, it was all left-sided, though. We do got to figure out what's going on now with the audio guy sending the audio out. It only comes through one headphone, and that's all you see in the chat on that side. But when Flus was talking, I thought that there was a lot of good that we heard from Coach Flus today, especially about one young man who, I mean, apparently is just taking uh, both OTAs and minicamp by storm in Tyreek Stevenson. We heard Flus talk at the podium today about the impact that Tyreek Stevenson has and how he's playing as a competitor. Let's listen in real quick. Are you defensively? What do you looking at with Tyreek Stevenson right now and what has he done to kind of earn some trust Uh, he's really showed what he showed in college Uh, you know so uh, really good ball skills length uh, you know uh, instincts competitive Um, he's showed all he's shown all those things and uh, he's had a couple nice interceptions during the course of this uh, offseason and now it's just about him going in I know he's going back home to train in the summer about him getting an elite shape uh, to make sure he can compete um, like he wants to would you describe kind of that competitive confidence that he has? Yeah, it just it's it's a little bit ahead, I would say. Um, it seems more like a veteran to me uh, than it does a rookie, uh, which is kind of cool uh, to be able to watch that. And uh, he's very confident. I think the guys gravitate towards him. Um, he's a likable guy because he does love football, um, and he is competitive. And uh, so I think he fits well with Gordon and and Brisker and and Eddie, all those guys that are really competitive that like to like to grind it and like to practice. Now, Courtney, you've been there 
You've seen this guy in action. What does Tyreek Stevenson look like? Does he, like Flew said, look like that guy mm-hmm. who's already up to somewhat of a veteran level when he's out there competing? Yeah, it's not the first time we've heard comments like this. I remember going back to rookie minicamp and you hear the initial impressions of their second round rookie that his, you know, football EQ, IQ, whatever you want to call it, is is not at that of a rookie level. Like it's it's significantly higher. And then you hear what Matt Eberflus said that the confidence factor, which you need to play a to, to be a defensive back, you've got to have that fearless, almost sort of reckless confidence at times to be able to play that sort of position to be able to play press man and all these techniques that require you to be up in someone's face. Yeah. Like he has all of that. And and there that's probably a major part of the reason why he was a second round pick to begin with. And I I'm sure some guys come in with that, but you know, as rookies, it's probably there's probably a steeper curve. But with him and what we're seeing right now, it feels like that has definitely been something he's already been able to get a hold of uh pretty well. So what I saw today, I was I was watching. We were indoors because it was raining. I watched the cornerback group during individuals. They're right in front of us, and he and Jalen Johnson uh, were communicating the entire time. I could see him asking questions. I could see yeah. him, you know, kind of shadowing some technique of the veteran cornerback. And it's it's good to see the guy that you're probably starting opposite of this fall that you're already starting to get on the same page and build that rapport and be comfortable knowing that you can ask a question, but like that no questions are bad questions because Tyreek Stevenson is going to be tasked with a mountain of work. If he ends up earning the starting spot in this defense, which he is very clearly on the trajectory to do. And you got to be comfortable knowing, Hey, we're all kind of in this together on the back end of the defense. I got to make sure that I'm on the same page as Kyler Gordon and he's on the same page as me. And I'm on the same page as Jalen Johnson and everybody's kind of working in unison so those things are all really important and it's good to start to see those 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 bonds on the field get get put into place uh you know early on because that's how you get the sort of moments like we saw you know right off the bat last year with the with the um you know the the forced fumble in the north or excuse me in the south end zone with with um jalen johnson and and uh jaquan brisker first you know quarter of the 2022 season you have two guys that are on the same page you know a rookie and a veteran player working together like that's what the bears hope this is a defense that's predicated on takeaways so to have one of your cornerbacks you know already showing he's very capable of doing that he's a ball hawk by nature but also that he has the intelligence to know kind of when to to push it and when to reel it back like that's a good sign that the coaches can already tell and they don't have to like drive that out of him it's already a pretty natural thing for him it's it's Tell me if I'm reading too much into this at this point, right? Overreaction Tuesday. That's what we're calling this. But when he when he gets into, you know, breaking down who he fits well with competitively, he says, Gordon, Brisker, and Eddie. There is a very key name missing from there. Am I reading too much into this? Or is there something to be said about maybe the relationship coming into camp between Jalen Johnson and Coach Flues? I explain it in the context again that he feels like he fits well with. So he said he said basically, you know, when when he goes out, you know, when you see him competitively, he fits well competitively with guys like Gordon, with Brisker, with Eddie, you know, going out there. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I thought of was he doesn't fit well competitively competitively with Jalen Johnson or what are we talking about here? But again, I was like, am I just reading too much into this? Am I you know, is this? 
uh, over, over, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, leftovers from overthinking it, right? From, from mini camp and all of that, or what what do you think? I think it was the fact that, I mean, that was Tyreek Stevenson who said that. So I think it's just the fact that Jalen Johnson wasn't there yet. I mean, last time we heard from Tyreek Stevenson as a group was rookie mini camp. So there's definitely been, you know, there's been some time um, where he, you know, he's had a chance to get in this defense and Jalen Johnson's been back for a week. So I think that there isn't too much to really put stock into just with that quote just yet, because, you know, come hell or high water, they're going to have to fit well together. (laughs) Even if he's got to play play. and, (laughs) you know, right now I think they're in a very much like the learning each other, feeling it out phase, but that doesn't mean that that can't get expedited over the next you know, six to eight weeks. And, and, and Flus had mentioned today with Tyreek Stevenson, like he knows his plan. He knows he's going home to, you know, to work for the next couple of weeks before they all come back for training camp. And I think you should, I think Bears fans should feel pretty good about the state of the secondary. You have Jalen Johnson back. Doesn't feel like there's going to be any sort of holdout feels that the contract extension and those talks are, you know, going to be in process before long. And then, of course, Eddie Jackson coming back and, you know, knowing that he did not have to have surgery for his Liz Frank injury, and that's not, like, delaying the process. It was his goal to get here for minicamp, and he's and he's here. So great sign there. I mean, Kyler Gordon today had a pick during 11-on-11. It was a little bit of an overthrown ball intended for Cole Komet, who I think tripped on the play. But, you know, the things are coming together. And then when you see Tyreek Stevenson as a rookie making plays early on, that's a, a sign of confidence that the front office may, you know, likely got this right and, and found somebody who was going to be a good fit in this defense. When you see, right, we heard that the, the second team defense seemed to get better of the offense a little bit more today. Is that just right because of where we're at in minicamp, right? He talked about not having pads on. It makes it a lot harder for protection and things like that to, to be held up by the offensive line. Yeah. Uh, the defense is expected to be a little bit ahead of the offense at this point. But what did you see on that when you were out there observing? Yeah, it usually is. I think that it is an up and down day for the offense today. I mean, the offensive line, it's hard to tell when you when you can't really go full force and block because you yeah. don't have pads on and – you know, anytime there's like, you know, a pressure sack when it's training camp or it's mini camp OTAs, it's going to look like, wow, the pass rush looks great. Like, look, this guy just got, you know, Terrell Lewis got past uh, Darnell Wright. Yeah. Um, and I think Braxton Jones got beat on what would be a quote unquote sack. Like, put it, it's a, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's certainly a good sign that you have, at least as of right now, um, what looks like pass rushers who will be capable of that. <laughs> but I also think that you have to, hit the pause button and say, okay, like this, this defensive line is not a finished product right now. They do need an edge rusher and it would be wise for them. Probably seeing as the market's drying up. I mean, someone like unique and Gakwe is still sitting out there. Like I just, I think you can't put a whole ton of stock into everything that you see. It's good to see the connection between DJ Moore and Justin Fields. And I know Justin Jones, when I asked him about the offense, because he was very vocal about the offense earlier in the off season. And so I asked him about it to get again, like the fact that you have players bringing that up without being prompted, like specifically yeah. Justin Fields and DJ Moore, that's a really good sign. But I expect these sorts of days, um, you know, where, where it really does get concerning in mini camp or even, you know, certainly training camp because the season is so close at that point 
when you start to see it take place in the red zone, and of course, remember last year, there were a couple red zone days that I'm sure the Bears offense wishes they could forget because there's turnovers, there's, you know, interceptions, there's just like a lack of communication or just every lack of everybody firing on the same cylinder. And, and that's a problem. Early on, I mean, they were indoors today. It's, you know, it's just I'm not surprised that there are some hiccups there, but I don't anticipate that you can really go full, you know, fully in depth on, okay, wow, like this is this is the product because it's June 13th right now. It's definitely not a finished product by any stretch, and it probably won't look like that even when you and I are talking two days from now, talking about our biggest takeaways from minicamp. We're just not going to be there yet. When you when you you talked about kind of right like how this offense is developing and and you know the offensive line as a whole, we heard that Cody Whitehair is a guy who has basically he he is the starter. That's what Flu said. He's like mm-hmm. he's the starter. How are they utilizing you, Lucas Patrick? Because Lucas Patrick is a guy that could play multiple positions. Yes. But again, last season he was brought here to be that starting center, and it seems like that job is just nowhere for him to be able to win it. Flu's basically said he can compete for it, mm-hmm. but right now Cody's our starter. It's a numbers game, and that's unfortunate when it's not, it's not like bad play put him in this spot. It's the yeah. fact that he you know, got injured twice last year, and your best availability abilities, your availability, I know as Absolutely. cliche as that sounds, but that's really what I think it boils down to here. He signed a two-year contract with the Bears. I mean, Cody Whitehair, as we've talked about, they have to justify paying him that much um, in, in his salary cap hit, specifically this year, the second highest on the team. You have to play him because otherwise you have somebody sitting on your bench who just is 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 paid a heavy price to do so, and they don't want to do that. They think that Cody Whitehair gives them the best chance right now in moving him back to center where we saw him play um, you know, prior to the 2022 season. And I think having someone like Lucas Patrick gives you options on the interior. We know injuries are prevalent along any offensive line, and to have somebody who has that inside you know, versatility, whether they're playing a guard position, whether he's at right guard, um, you know, whether he's playing center, that's yeah. a good, that's a good spot for them to feel more comfortable knowing we have capable people and we're not going to be playing musical chairs. I mean, even flu said it today that, um, you know, they don't want to have to go back to what they were doing last year where he didn't, ex- he didn't say musical chairs, he said like, you know, <laughs> moving people around something yeah. like that. And I, and I think it's important because yeah, even everybody you talk to talks about this offensive line that we're seeing right now with with Braxton Jones at left tackle and then Tevin Jenkins left guard, Cody Whitehair center, Nate Davis at right guard and and um, uh, help me here. Why am I blanking on the the first round rookie? Um, Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright. My brain is fried right now after being <laughs> out here all day. When when you hear people talk about like that's the unit. That is your offensive line. Yes. It's it's good because you don't ever hear that, especially with this team around, you know, the middle of June. And again, I'll go back to Justin Jones because he brought up some really good points last year that Braxton Jones had a great season for a rookie, despite the fact of like not knowing who all is going to be next to him. And, and oftentimes the left guard spot. I mean, yes, we know Cody Whitehair was there. He had the injury. Um, and there were some more rotating parts, but like 
how, what do you expect when you don't know who's going to be playing with you next to you on a week by week basis? Yeah. Now they do. Now they know there are veterans in this mix. It's not you're not you're relying on, you know, your first round rookie, your 10th overall pick and you expect him to be really good. And so far, the reviews um, on on him or have been really on Darnell Wright have been really good. And that's important. But to have some veterans with some experience and knowing that the pass protection is such a point of emphasis for this team, I think that's really important that it's already starting to come together and you won't have to tinker and mess with something that when you leave it in its place on June 15th at the end of minicamp and you come back at the end of July to pick it up, you expect that there won't be much drop-off and you can go into yeah. training camp with a step ahead instead of thinking that you have to use the first two weeks to figure out the best combination. The best teams are the ones that go in saying, all right, there's our left tackle through our right tackle. We know every single spot that's figured out. What you use training camp for then is to try to figure out the depth. Who's your swing tackle? Because that could be a pretty uh, you know, important competition. I mean, Alex Leatherwood, Larry Borum, those are some of the names that you expect yeah. to be in the mix for you know, those spots because if they carry, you know, nine on the roster, you know, seven, eight on game day, like you've got to have versatility in that to know who can come in and where they can be most effective should injuries or anything else arise during the season. What's happening with Alex Leatherwood? We've mentioned his name a couple of times this offseason. Is he working in? Is he like he I feel like we have so many players on this Bears team where we're like, hey, is that guy still here? Like, is he still around on the team? Like nobody talks about him. That would be Larry Borum for me, frankly, because (laughs) I, you know, I know he's going into his third season. He wasn't a high draft pick, but, you know, at one point last year, he was projected to be the starter at right tackle. So I'm really curious to see what his role ends up becoming through training camp is he with you know he'll be running with the twos but you know is Alex Leatherwood able to beat him out for one of those tackle spots and how does that shake out what you know there's five and then you think okay if they're going to carry nine which I believe they you know carry nine you always have like one or two that you expect you know once usually it was Jatari Carter last year but at least one that can go on the inactive list on game day but then being able to carry eight because of the injury concerns that you always have with that position Finding those like next three beyond the five starters, you can pencil Lucas Patrick in as one of those guys. But then who is it? Is it is it an Alex Leatherwood? Is it Larry Borum? Is it Jatari Carter? There could be some interesting depth conversations about the competition that are that's gonna happen at some of those backup spots. And the best teams are the ones that have depth along the offensive line that when it is called on to play can come in and not feel like they're, you know, playing at a completely different speed than everybody else on offense. It's it's funny because right we we're trying not to get excited, overly excited I should say about everything that we're hearing out of there, but then I hear that the Bears have been practicing deep shots. Mm-hmm. all through mini camp and into now opening day or all through OTAs and now into opening day of mini camp uh is does that seem to be the focus for the bears uh right now working through offensively on you know creating that space getting guys to play back so that Justin can finally be able to under attack, attack underneath yeah no I, I we saw a lot of that today and and, and it's interesting cuz DJ Moore has been that guy for this offense throughout the offseason what we've seen like he was running a lot of underneath routes today it was Dante Pettis who had who just it was an absolutely perfectly placed ball from Justin Fields on the sideline and the threading the needle and and Dante Pettis in this catch it was a nice it was nice to see because we know DJ Moore can do that 
it's yeah. utilizing this time now with Mooney out, with Claypool not practicing to figure out who who else can contribute in that role. So today it was Dante Pettis. Who knows who it'll be on Wednesday and then again on Thursday. But they definitely have made it a point of emphasis about trying to stretch the field and what Flus was talking about. Like, I mean, you see so many defenses in single high. How are you going to attack that? Like, yeah. that's teams. that's teams – all but saying we dare you to throw the ball deep on us. We yeah. dare you to try to attack some of the some of the free zones that you see in the secondary. So utilizing this time now to try to figure out the best way to do that so it's not uncomfortable and feels foreign to this offense in season, that's a good use of their time. So now figuring out who else is going to be part of that mix for the Bears is is a good use of what we see on tap the next couple days. I think probably the first three weeks, they're going to be able to get away with a lot of deep shots because the teams are going to realistically just be like, we got to cover Justin. Like, we don't think that he can throw. I think there's going to be that. Remember, I don't remember who the DB was that said it, but they it was about Mitch, and they were just like, we're going to turn him into a quarterback. He's going to have to pass the football. I just don't think that – I think they'll try that in the beginning. I don't see that working in their favor because I've seen Justin's deep ball, and it's actually pretty accurate contrary to the drops that we saw last season. So it'll be it, it, the, the opening weeks. I, I am excited to see. I am very mm-hmm. excited about what this football team could be. Let's go on to the second quarter. Second quarter. Courtney, because we've talked about this offense a ton. There's a ton that we do want to get into even more with Justin Jones comments and different things like that. But Nate Davis spoke, even though they didn't put that uh, out for the YouTube side. I don't know what's going on with that. He speak before Flus. Yeah, he was number. He was the first one to go today, so he got off uh, right okay. off the bat off the practice field. Uh, what did we hear from Nate Davis about his absence from uh, OTAs? What do you is he coming in looking good, ready to go? What did you see today? Yeah, not too much. I mean, he had mentioned that you know why did you skip OTAs? And he came back last week just to clarify. Yeah. He only missed the first two weeks. The he first said two weeks, yes. It was quote normal routine for him. So whatever that means, he said he was able to get some off the field stuff taken care of. Um, and for him now, you know, I believe this is his fifth NFL season after four uh, with the Tennessee Titans. It's getting his body right, his mind right, uh, taking care of whatever that means off the field. It's it just it's always going to be a, like a little interesting when a guy joins a team and isn't there from like day one of the yeah. off season program. And I, you know, it's his prerogative. He's healthy. He was practicing. I mean, remember he had. Uh, an injury late in the season last year, but he said today that he didn't have to have surgery. So again, a small piece of news, but you know, considerable because you don't want to think that the team signed you know somebody who was injured last year and is yeah. is working you know back to you know off of injury and is supposed to be starting at right guard. I. I, I didn't know if we gleaned really all that much from Nate Davis. He's playing in a similar system, so it makes it easier for him to come in and to you know assimilate in this offense, not have feel like, oh man, I missed so much time. What what we did learn from him, and I think it's just good to hear how he feels about Justin Fields. Like when he talked about like his command of the huddle, when I asked him about that, you know, that was that was something that I think was like a big initial impression because he said that the first thing he said is that, you know, 
what like I asked him like what what are your impressions of Justin Fields like and how he like commands the offense commands the huddle has a grasp on everything he said he's a vet like he's been around Ryan Tannehill he compared you know a lot of like what he talked about today was Ryan Tannehill and his ability at quarterback and you know his command of the huddle and he saw a lot of that in Justin Fields now he's never played a live down of football with Justin Fields yet so we'll see like what he thinks about it in in a couple months but it's a good sign that you know, Nate Davis is able to come in here after missing, you know, a big portion of, of OTAs. And I know he said he's been locked in and he's been, you know, in his playbook. He's able to stay in touch with teammates, but he just wasn't physically here. It sounds a lot like the Jalen Johnson situation, yeah. to be honest, like where, you know, it, it sounds like he had the capabilities to like remain engaged. Now, whether that means being in meetings virtually or not, we, we don't really know, but it's better than the alternative where somebody like that is new to the offense, brand new scheme and, and isn't here. Like, I think this one isn't necessarily because he's here and he's, he's already signed his contract. It's not, there's no real fear of anything like, you know, that could play out that could affect his availability as your starting right guard. And right. again, you know, to see the early impressions of this offensive line and just going out there seeing the same five guys and the order in which you expect them to be playing in yeah. is is a pretty big deal. So, I mean, we've seen that, and that's what I expect to continue going forward. But, you know, Nate Davis will have his chance like once they put pads on to show, okay, this is, this is what um, the type of player he is. This is how he looks in this offense. This is how he looks at, at that position. And it'll be good then to be able to see where Darnell Wright is, knowing that he's playing mm-hmm. next to a veteran. And, and that's going to be somebody he relies on for communication and somebody who helps him through the inevitable rookie wall. And that's that's a big question from it all, right? Like, the only reason that I had concern about Nate Davis not being there, and is it going to affect it in the long run? Probably not. But I would have thought that it would have been great just to get that rapport with Darnell right early on. Again, he showed up for the third week of, of uh, OTAs, so probably starting to build that relationship there. He's been in meetings, which means he's at least talking with them and, and hearing from them. But mm-hmm. what, what did you see, right? How, how did that pairing look today? I, again, no pads. You can't see a ton. But how does that pairing look? How does Darnell Wright look early on in this thing? I think it looks what you expect it to look like. I mean, but we've said this about Darnell Wright that, you know, first off, the size itself, that's among the first things that stand out, stands out <laughs> to you. And he's a massive human being. So yeah. good that, you know, he's going to have that attribute to like help himself, you know, get into the NFL. And one thing Nate Davis said he's relayed to him about is speed of the game is going to be a lot different for you here. That for him as a rookie coming in with the Tennessee Titans was his first thing he had to overcome. And I know, you know, even though like Darnell Wright played in a hurry up offense where you're getting like 80, sometimes 85 plays a game at Tennessee, you're on the field a lot and you're playing without breaks. You're not huddling. You're, you're kind of, you know, moving along very quickly I'm curious to ask him three to four weeks into the season how he feels that helped him last year and curious if it mattered at all or if it was just completely out the window because the NFL is really that much different than what he's going to expect uh, than what he played for played with in college. And, you know, I do expect, too, that it's going to feel different because the type of edge rushers he's going to have to go against on a weekly basis, even though he came from the SEC. That is like you're facing the best of the best in the SEC, more or less on a weekly basis for 17 games. So all of those things, you know, Darnell Wright will have will have to go through this year. 
good good for like for him though he's gonna have nate davis who went through this before he's gonna have cody whitehair a long tenured veteran on this team he's gonna have tevin jenkins to lean on who had to go through a full-on position switch last year and then of course braxton jones just went through the rookie curve and played 100 percent of snaps at left tackle last year if there's anybody that's walking into a situation where he's got you know, he can walk in and say, I'm comfortable with the guys that I have around me that they're going to help me get to where I need to go. It's, it's darn all right. Just because of like the amount of, you know, experience that he, he inherits being part of that room and being the young guy, it is very hard to assimilate to a lot to an offensive line room where everybody, like if one person's out of sync, usually the coverage breaks down and, and it's something bad happens out of that. So you have to, get on the same page as your teammates very quickly. I think he's going to be in a really good spot to do that because it's not like there's like two or three rookies or brand new players who have never played, had starting roles before, trying to figure it out on this offensive line. He's the one coming in who is going to have a lot of attention on him from players, from from you know his other teammates and coaches to help get him up to speed if he's not there or doesn't feel like he's there and where he needs to be as quickly as he wants to be. It's going to be, I mean, this offense as a whole, it it's so, I don't know why this is weird to talk about, but it just feels weird where like there's guys that have been not only experienced in the league at these positions, but have actually been good at it. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's just being a Bears fan for long enough. And it's just like, yeah, we got bets, but I mean, like I, we could replace <laughs> them if we wanted to, you know, like, like it just feels weird because it's like Nate Davis was a good right guard at his position. Cody Whitehair played well at center, right? Like, you talk about all these different positions and you see guys who were able to make an impact. Justin Jones actually talked about kind of even some of the impact that uh, Justin Fields and, mm-hmm. and Darnell, uh, not Darnell, um, DJ Moore are already putting out there. I mean, let's let's listen in on that because I, the offense has me a little bubbly. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> One and two connections going to be crazy this year. Him and DJ Moore, it's going to be crazy this year. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, I like what I see. DJ Moore is a great addition. Like I, he's made some amazing catches, this OTAs, and you know it's just something that we haven't had in, in a long time. That what I'm hearing. You know, I've only been here a year, so something that we we haven't had here in a long time. And uh, I'm excited. You know, he he has somebody who can get, get open, who can run every route on the route tree. You know, can beat man press any type of any type of uh, coverage. You know, you throwing at him double teams. He's running right by guys. You know, hitting them with double moves and. You know, we got guys to block for Justin Fields, too. You know, we just got an, our, the, our offensive tackle, Darnell Wright, Nate Davis. You know, the vets like that, you got vets like that on the line, you know, it helps helps the young guys out. You know, especially last year, you know, we're shuffling a lot of pieces around. You know, we got Braxton uh, with his rookie rookie year last year. He had a pretty good year, but, you know, the old line moved around a lot, like piece-wise, like new guys in and, in and out the lineup. You know, it's kind of hard for <clears throat> your rookie to really, really, I guess, Excel when you know you don't really know who's playing by you the next week, but now you know you got a, a set old line, you got these set vets, you got set people who's going to play with you, you know, coming the season. Like, sky's the limit for that room right there. And I'm excited for him, Justin Fields. I'm excited for the whole offensive side of the ball because it's going to be some real explosive plays where Justin doesn't have to use his legs. So, when you hear even the defensive guys yeah. getting giddy about this, what does that tell you about the improvements that the Bears have made this offseason and that connection between DJ Moore and Justin Fields already? The reason I asked Justin Jones that question is because when we sat down, I thought back to 
clocker clean out day, uh, January 9th or 10th, whatever day yeah. it was. And we asked him about, you know, what did you learn about your starting quarterback? And it's, you know, this whole, the, obviously football is a sport that's played in conjunction. My position affects your position, which affects yeah. another position. It's a three phase game. And, you, you, but you typically don't hear a defensive player talk about the quarterback in such glowing terms the way that Justin Jones has talked about Justin Fields. Now, could it be the fact that they both have the Georgia connection, like they're both from there? Yeah. I don't know. Like, clearly he pays attention to what's going on on the other side of the ball. A lot of times you get guys who say, oh, I'm just trying to do my job. I'm just trying to move forward with it. But it's very clear that the success that Justin Jones and this defense expects to have is going to be predicated off of what you see on the offensive side of the ball. So when he says in January, this is a direct quote, once we start getting some more pieces around him and everything and start actually building a scheme for him that can really showcase every athletic talent he has, every ability that he has, it's going to be real, real dangerous out there. Like that's what he's saying when he's bringing up the DJ Moore thing. And then that connection, which he sees more than we do because he's yeah. been here throughout the entirety of this offensive pro of this offseason program. He's seeing it on a day-to-day -day basis and it's sticking out to him as a defensive player, you're supposed to be, you know, in, in your mind, it's no, we've got to stop all that. The fact that there have been moments where that connection is clearly, you know, beaten what the defense is trying to do. That's a really good sign that like things are trending in the right direction. But I, I just think that this is somebody too, who understands the bigger picture here. It's going to take this defense improving a lot because at the end of the season last year, they completely, failed on their own expectations which was you know playing playing football that you know was respectable football when you're giving up 400 yards a game in back-to-back -back, you know multiple weeks in a row that's demoralizing and you don't want to be part of that so what they're building here as far as like the defensive side of the ball with a lot of the new pieces especially position that affects him with all of the additions they made at defensive tackle and he's open to that like he said it's on me to bring along the young guys because that's what was done for me when I was a rookie. And when yeah. I was in my early years in the NFL, sometimes like if all goes according to plan, if it's the plan of, you know, the front office, Jervon Dexter and Zach Pickens end up becoming starters one day that would put Justin Jones out of a job. So you have to like, if you're a player like that, you have to be secure in your abilities and confident yeah. that you can do what you need to do to keep your job at three technique this year, which Alan Williams said, or, you know, about a month ago, Justin Jones is our three techniques. Some of that yeah. could be posturing. Some of that could just be like that at that point in time, you have two rookies. You're not just going to project a rookies like starting at any position. I mean, even the bears were hesitant at first about Darnell Wright And like just saying they didn't <laughs> want to say, you know, yeah, he's, he's our starting right tackle. Like look at what the Panthers did last week. It took them, I'm very proud of them as an organization <laughs> in seeing the way that they handled it by saying, yeah, no, Bryce Young is QB one. Like that's just what you get with the rookie position, yeah. any rookie at any position. Like teams typically don't want to go ahead and give them like, Oh yeah, you're the guy who already earned it without playing any meaningful football. But that's, that's kind of the approach. I think the bears have taken with Justin Jones. Like he's a, critical part to making sure this interior part of the pass rush works because he's got to be the one bringing along guys that he, you know, will have to mentor and, and, and hearing him talk about Zach Pickens and that he feels like he sees a lot of himself in him at a young age. That's good for the chemistry of that room. And it's, 
it just can't be spoken of enough because that's so important that you have to have guys on the same page and you start building it right now in the middle of June and hope that that will carry over to training camp by the time you get there. Maybe there's a couple new additions on the defensive line and, and maybe we know a little bit more of what this thing's going to look like and who's going to be where on the interior, but he plays a really pivotal role in making sure that whole thing happens. Yeah, 100%. I want to keep talking about this defense as we go through the the third quarter. But first, Courtney, we've got halftime, my favorite time of every show. We get to talk about whatever we want to talk about at halftime. And Courtney, the Denver Nuggets are (laughs) NBA champions for the first time ever. My question to you, twofold question, really. Right now, Two MVPs, NBA Finals MVP, and a championship ring. Where do you have Nikola Jokic ranked among all-time centers? Because I think these are all-time accomplishments at this point. And how the heck do we rank Jimmy Butler, somebody who's dragged multiple teams <laughs> to the NBA Finals that we both just go, what? how the heck? I don't know how y'all got there, but cool. <laughs> it's for To answer your first question, you know, this is going to be one that we debate all summer because with the NBA finals being over on June 12th, there's a lot of time until training camp and until even till free agency, when we start seeing pieces move around. So the Nikola Jokic is he top five at his position all time. I would put him in there looking at what he's done and he, how he's revolutionizing it and showing no signs of slowing down. He's a big man who plays, you know, not just with his back to the basket, like he can shoot. And it's so cool hearing the story of how, you know, him coming over from Serbia and being a raw prospect and, you know, poking fun at himself for like his weight and all of these things to watch him develop maybe into the best player that's currently playing in the NBA is wild. And I think there's still some like non-believers out there, which is (laughs) if you're in that boat, did you watch the NBA finals? Did you watch the playoffs? This team was incredible for the last two months and they just swept through the entire series. And there's a reason they were the one seed and how good they were all season long. So now you have a team that shows no sign of slowing down. Remember that trade that they made with Oklahoma city the other day to get more draft capital, because the way that CBA is going to be coming through when you have to like factor in the luxury tax and in the players that down the line, the Jamal Murray's Michael Porter juniors, Nicole, yeah. again, you're going to have to pay. So they want to go about the draft and develop, route uh so they can become this era's general this era's version of the 99 spurs with tim duncan and all of the players that were brought in to san antonio and developed through pop system that's who this denver nuggets team could be so yeah i'd put Jokic top five centers all time and that's not recency bias i mean he's Two-time MVP before now, just in case you're forgetting. Two-time MVP. (laughs) And on top of that, now an NBA Finals champion, an NBA Finals MVP, and very well could have won the MVP this year. I think there was a lot of voter fatigue just with, oh, this guy in Denver who's on a very, you know, non-flashy team, doesn't have the endorsements, isn't the big name, like winning it again, I think certainly factored into why, you know, some did, some voted for Joel Embiid over him this year. But I'm excited to see what's next. I'm excited to see them push the, you know, push to contend again and for future years too. That puts the Warriors on notice. That puts the Lakers on notice. Certainly the Suns and all the investments that they made on the offensive side of the ball. It's not just a runaway division with like the star power. Now you have a team that's like built the right way. And I, 
know that's a little cliche, but take a look at the sustainability effect with, you know, a team that, you know, they, they get Aaron Gordon. And instead of making him, it, forcing him into a role where he feels like he has to be the number one, the best player, he's the third best player on this team. And it clearly works. You know, the guy was a number four pick in the NBA draft, like not that long ago. And look at where he's at now. It's the yeah. right fit. Coaching matters. All those things factor in to why this team was so good. But I am very excited to see how they go about like trying, like what their draft strategy is, how they try to build around the core that they already have. Cause with a team like that in the series that was never really in question, save for that insanely dumb call last <laughs> night um, in the fourth quarter. And if whether you want to think the NBA is rigged or not, I mean, there's your prime example of, man, they really wanted this to go to six. So it could go back to Miami. Um, it was never close, but Jimmy, I, I can't fault him. Like, God, it's too little too late. Like some of the shots he made in the fourth quarter, I'm like, where was that yeah. two quarters ago? And he ran out of gas. You can, t- I would not be surprised. And I don't know anything. I'm just <laughs> like kind of speculating here. I would not be surprised if we hear, Hey, Jimmy Butler had to undergo surgery for the ankle or had a yeah. procedure for a cleanup. He was grimacing towards the end. You could tell he was in some considerable pain. And the fact that he got his team to game five of the <laughs> NBA finals without Tyler Hero and the offensive explosion that they get from him, which which helps their volume. They are a team that needs volume um, shooting because they were, I believe, eight and four ahead of yesterday when they won the battle of shooting more. And they were three and five yeah. when they didn't. So it's. I don't know what this team's going to look like if they get Damian Lillard or some other point guard to, to, you know, Kyle Lowry could end up towards retirement. Like either way, they need depth in their backcourt. I yeah. am, they're going to be a dangerous team and they'll still probably be in the mix for the years to come. They're, they're so hilarious to me. Cause it's just like that. <laughs> we, we did, we always do like a live call of the finals on over on the breeze. And so we we're calling it. And I was just like, Jimmy Butler to Struce just sounds gross. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, every time he would pass the ball to somebody, I was like, my God, it just sounds bad. Like, you got to get some shooters on this team. I think yeah. I, I said Matt this. Struce was horrible last night. He, like, he, I don't know what happened. He's been horrible the entire finals. Like, he's, yeah. he hasn't been good. And I think, I'm going to be honest with you. I looked at that, and I was like, this is like the Kobe AI finals. Like, that's what this felt like to me. Like, you're not supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. credit to you for getting here. This is absolutely a feather in your cap that your team is here. You're going to lose, but you're not supposed to be here. And that's tough. As a Bulls fan, you know, I love Jimmy. I, I wanted to, I wanted Jimmy to compete a little bit more. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did too. I wanted him. To, I would love to have seen him win. And what a story that would have been as an eight seed going all the way to the finals and winning it. But there's no shame in their game that they just fell off at the end. They pushed their talent as far as they could possibly go. And yeah. we'll see, we'll see what Boston looks like next off next season, because they've got a lot of decisions they have to make this off season, particularly with Jalen Brown and you know, who they want to pay. And you know, what does Milwaukee look like? They got a brand new coach. Are they going to keep Chris Middleton? Are they going to keep Brooke Lopez? Like the East could be a little bit more open in this offseason than than we've seen it in the last couple of years. Hey, uh, AK, you hear that? Just uh, keep that in mind. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. He put together the championship team. We got to be patient, Bulls fans. That's all I say on that. He literally built this entire team and it was like, all right, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> oh, man, let's get back into some football talk, though. This is what the people came for. Let's get into the third quarter here. Third quarter. As... 
we were talking about the defense. I really, I, I think as training camp and OTAs has gone on, or not training camp, mini camp and OTAs has gone on, um, I'm feeling better about kind of the pieces that we have on the defensive end. Not to say we're not still missing pieces, but at least the pieces here feel like the right pieces in the right position at this point. Hopefully, right, that continues to show itself. But Justin Jones talked about on the defensive end um, or or just the culture in the room and and how he kind of talked about what this team was. Let's listen in on that because I thought this was actually a little bit surprising. A different locker room than it was last year. I, I'll tell you that. And uh, obviously, now the season's over. You know, we got a lot more guys who are uh, more team oriented versus you know themselves. You know, when you got a bunch of guys that are on one year deals and they're all worried about where they're going to be next year, it's kind of hard to really build a tight group. You know, but when you got guys here who are going to be here for three, three years, four years, you know, two years, like guys who really want to come in here and win, like that's when you start really cooking with fire because now you got talented players and you got guys that want to be here and want to play for the Bears, and it's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's, it's going to be a good good deal. What the heck? I thought everybody was kumbaya last season. I thought everybody loved each other, and it was a great culture, even though they were losing. What's going on with the culture? (laughs) That was an interesting answer. When I asked him that question, I was not expecting the whole one-year, guys on one-year deals just trying to get paid. I wasn't expecting that sort of response (laughs) because – he had hinted at, look, we went through hell last year. Like they yeah. traded our captain Roquan Smith at, at the deadline, and you know they traded uh, you know Robert Quinn, and, and you lose Eddie Jackson, and you're like piecemealing this roster together. Like you went through challenges, so you'd yeah. think that all of those challenges would make the unit stronger. But then he's like, oh, it's a completely different locker room. We've got guys who want to be here. We've got guys who, you know. He didn't really give you the perspective that like the trial by fire brought this room closer together. It almost made it sound like the trial by fire, you know, weeded out some of the, I don't want to say bad apples, but like weeded out some of the pieces that just were not meant to be part of this rebuild. And, you know, there you can, I'm not going to name names, but it's like, you can like, I don't know who he was talking about, but there were several guys here that were on one year deals that are no longer and several players who were on, I believe multi-year deals and, you know, someone who played alongside him, um, Al-Qadine Muhammad, was somebody that they cut, like, in January. Um, yeah. he, I believe he had another year left on his contract. So, again, I don't know if he was referring to anybody in specific or not, but it was a pretty telling answer. I mean, he, he was... He was not uh, one to mince words today talking about how much he does not like Packers fans when he was asked (laughs) about the state of the division. And, you know, this comment about how different the locker room is this year. And he's a newer guy. He's only been here one year. He's been able to establish himself as one of the more vocal leaders on this team, playing a very pivotal role, playing a lot of you know, a lot of football, a lot of snaps for this team. So he kind of has a right to, you know, his voice carries weight. When he says something like that, as somebody who, you know, has been part of this team, went through the 3-14 and 14 season, and now you, he's the one who can accurately tell us how different things are. Yeah, I think that that's something that makes your antenna go up because you're like, whoa, that's like, it maybe sheds light on how bad things were internally and within this locker room that at the end of the season last year, Maybe it wasn't as great as they were painting it out to be because how, if you're talking about human nature, how can it be? How can it be enjoyable to come to work when your team's yeah. three and 14 and your defense is just awful on a week to week basis at the end of the season? And it feels like guys are making business decisions 
And, you know, sometimes it feels like guys are stalling in their progression and learning how to play football in this defense. So I thought that was a pretty eye-opening comment. I, I, I was sitting there. I was like, man, and then like it, it wasn't, it was Eddie Jackson, right? Eddie Jackson kind of yeah. said the same thing as well. I was like, and Eddie's Wait been a minute, here like- seven years now. So like he's got a completely <laughs> different perspective, seeing a lot of turnover from a lot of different locker rooms. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I thought that, I guess you can't expect everything to be right. Hunky door. Everybody's happy in a three win season, but they certainly made it seem that way last season. Yeah. Maybe that's just a, a great job by the coaching staff saying we're keeping everything in house. Nothing's going to get out. Now, you know, guys are gone. Now you see these players taking a little bit of shot. I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. I like it. I did too. I, like I really fieriness. appreciated the honesty with it. And that's, that's stuff that lets you know, okay, if they're, if, if it feels that different and, and what Eddie was saying that, you know, it's year seven for him that like, you know, coming off the injury, this is not the first time he's been injured. Your window is right now. And that really is a motivating factor for somebody whose season was cut short 12 weeks in last year. And you don't have time to waste. Like you right. don't have this window to waste. And it, it it speaks to the bigger picture of Justin Fields is in year three. I know everything kind of comes back to the quarterback, but that's the way it is in the NFL. Yeah. Like you put all these pieces around him. It better work out this year. It better show you massive signs of growth. Otherwise, shoot, like there could be some pretty significant changes coming to some of the more important positions on this team. And if you take it seriously, especially starting now when you're trying to build something so like you can set your habits by the time you get back from you know summer vacation break whatever it is for training camp then you then it's full steam ahead you don't have time to set anything then so like when you get guys doing the buy-in right now that shows you where like where how quickly things can go and how quickly things can feel like they're actually sticking when everybody gets back together at late july yeah, and I mean, we we heard from Eddie. We talked about Eddie. Uh, Eddie talked about his return, I should say, and how he kind of just you know worked his way back into this thing. How excited he is to be back out on the field. Let's listen in on that real quick. You know, that was the the goal. You know, to get back. You know, in time for vet mini camp. You uh, just to be out there with the guys. You know, get that chemistry back. You got a lot of new faces, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, just want to go out there and be able to build that chemistry early. What you all have to do to get back and be ready to go already? Um, just work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. You know, um, I don't. I haven't had a time off. You know, no vacation time. You know, I've been here since the injury. Uh, me, Mooney, Jack Sanborn, we all been in here, you know, grinding, you know, and sticking it out with each other. So, you know, just to see, you know, Jack came back first and it was like, oh, yeah, I got I got to hurry up. Then now Mooney feeding off me, try, you know, me coming back. So, you know, just coming in, putting the extra time in, you know, um, and just staying focused, you know, trying to get back with the team. Hey, when did you know you weren't going to have to have surgery? Um, I say what I, I was in the boot for the first, uh, I want to say, four to six weeks or six to eight weeks or something like that. And I went back and seen uh doc in um, Wisconsin and he told me uh, it was healing fine. So no surgery was needed. And, you know, that was a big blessing. We kind of felt like I wasn't going to need it because I was you know, recovering pretty fast and everything. So the pain went down, the swelling went down pretty fast. Um, I did have like a lot of bruising. So we kind of felt like that. Then when we got the news, I was, you know, I was so excited. What have you what have you seen from Eddie out there? I mean, he's excited about his return. Mm-hmm. He, we saw him, you know, we heard that he was doing some light work out there. Is he is he kind of getting himself back into where the Bears are looking for him to be heading toward training camp? Yeah, the window for him to get back at mini camp was really important because 
he's been rehabbing since, you know, he doesn't have to have the surgery. He's in the yeah. walking boot. That was, you know, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So late November, I remember when we were doing locker clean out, we see him still like on the scooter on with the walking boot, you know, fast forward, you know, a couple of weeks, he goes to get evaluated and he says, Hey, I don't need surgery. That's a God, what a sigh of relief Yeah. because as a corner, as a safety and a cornerback, like as a defensive back, you have to plant and backpedal and to not have a surgically repaired foot, knowing that like, you're going to have to overcome all these other like obstacles to get back to doing that and cutting and pivoting and, and, you know, flipping your body, all these things at a very high level, taking the surgery element out is huge. And he's out there right now. Yeah. Maybe not at full speed, but he's still practicing a lot. And I, I think that like the way that he's worked to get back, it's something Matt Eberflus has talked about pretty glowingly. He deserves a lot of credit because the amount of work that he threw into his rehab, again, you hear him talk about like the windows right now, I don't have time to waste. And he's, he's, you know, on a mission to prove, you know, he's worthy of his contract. I mean, that's always kind of been the ancillary storyline around someone like Eddie Jackson, because there are, there is some criticism. Hey, like you signed the big deal in 2000 ahead of the 2020 season. And then, you know, you know, last year you saw him get back to that version, the version that got himself paid. And now it's what's the next step for him beyond this. That's what he's geared towards. And, the injury hiccup you hope for him and he hopes is just a hiccup and that it won't be something that limits him. So him being back now is it's a really good sign um, that things going forward, like he'll, he'll continue to make sure that his rehab, like it just sounds like he's not in the training room nearly as much as he had to be before. So yeah. who knows what, what that means as far as like more work he has to do there. But I, I think you've got somebody who feels like they've really, like been given kind of a second lease on this on this thing and really wants to capitalize on it. Yeah, we got we heard him talk about right him Mooney Sanborn all being in there working all off season. Uh, Mooney, of course, they they look like they're targeting him for training camp. Sanborn, yeah. kind of in that similar uh, uh, area. So I, I just. I like to hear. I like how he said, right? They are all fed off of each other, right? Jack able to come back. Boom! I now I got to get back. Okay, Mooney's feeding off of me. It feels like this team, and and maybe this is cliche to say, but it feels like this team, actually, unlike the culture apparently last season, does like each other, does like working with each other, does like being on the field. That's a huge thing for me heading into training camp because these relationships are already built trying to go into a season where you're trying to change winning culture here. Yeah. And it matters. It absolutely matters. And when you have guys who are all motivating each other through the rehab process, it's a small group. And and thankfully for the team's sake, it's a small group that you didn't have a whole ton of season ending injuries that require a lot of off season work, because that means you have more guys on the field and to have, you know, today, Matt Eberflus said, even if you didn't see guys out there, they had full attendance, which means that if, if you don't see guys out there and they're just a couple, like not a lot of big names, Jalen, um, Jalen Holmes was one of them. You know, Joe Reed was somebody, a wide receiver they signed who is, is working through something, Chase Allen. Um, but even like the Chase Claypools of the world, like they're all here. They're all working through whatever the injuries are, their respective injuries. And you don't have the element of, oh, well, are we expecting a holdout or somebody who's not happy and doesn't want to be here? It's a better sign than the alternative to actually have the players here and to have them working towards getting back healthy on the field. Now, let's let's get into this fourth quarter because the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. 
that's probably the most interesting quarter we have on this show. Because especially with Justin Jones's comments now, right? Like <laughs> about Packers fans, uh, a certain city that's a lot closer to more Packers fans throwing its hat in the ring for the Bear Stadium. Waukegan, right next to my hometown of North Chicago. Shout out to Lake County. Bang, bang. We out here uh, trying to get into the mix on the Bears Stadium, actually sending a letter to Kevin Warren, the detail or the uh, mayor of Waukegan detailing why Waukegan would be a great spot, some great lakefront property, all the things that they would be able to uh, provide for the Bears. Courtney, is there any realistic way that the Bears are going to Waukegan? I mean, any city at this point that thinks they could potentially have the bandwidth for an NFL franchise like the Bears who are looking to build a new stadium are going to build a new stadium and you know they're hoping that like they get it done like this is like they see what's happening in Arlington Heights yeah last I checked the 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 Cook County Assessor has not lowered the tax valuation on that land um so the Bears for right now are going to be open for business so this would this would prompt every city to go ahead and make the move, make the pitch. And Waukegan's pitch was, Hey, we're 20 minutes away from uh, where, you know, the bears currently are in Lake yeah. forest. There are a lot of players who live up that way yeah. and the lakefront property, the opportunity to build something that could host not only bears games, but like they put it in there, you know uh, you know, other events and, you know, an entertainment district, uh, the state of the art stadium, a development there, like, it's a leverage play. I don't believe the Bears are going to be playing in Naperville, Waukegan, or even in Chicago much longer. Yeah. I just, at some point, something's going to have to give with Arlington Heights. But Arlington Heights is saying, you know, they're probably trying to stay firm here and be like, well, look, we valued the land. You know, the tax assessment on this land is such. And we know that you're going to continue tearing down the grandstand and continue trying to develop the land for something because you own it now. It's not like, it's not like the bears don't own this property. They closed on it and they're working towards making it viable to build a stadium on. But in the meantime, they're, you know, keeping their options open. It's the smart strategy. It's the strategy that leads to a lot of interesting conversations about what if they went here? What if, you know, this city got in the mix, are we going to all of a sudden see cities that, you know, we're in the mix of four, like Gary, Indiana, just try to yeah. pop in and, and, you know, give the Bears something to, to consider. The Bears should consider this, but I don't know how serious many of these offers are, like as far as like how seriously the team's considering it, because everything has been so geared towards Arlington Heights. They did say in the statement, their sole focus is no longer on Arlington Heights because of what's happening financially with what they're expecting taxpayers, the burden that's going to be on them. Does this mean that everything's going to fall through and, and Arlington Heights is going to be out? No, but it does give you something to consider if you are this organization trying to think about what's the best way to get this thing done in a financial way that isn't going to put a massive burden on you know whatever community they're building in because that's what's going to be required. Fans, fans, and fans and non-fans alike, anybody who's in the surrounding area is going to be paying yeah. for a lot of the infrastructure to make sure the stadium can be there in the first place while the Bears are privately funding the stadium. I, I think we should like make a wager on this though. Like what's going to be the next stadium? What's going to be the next city that ends up getting involved? Like what about Rockford? Rockford seems like a great place. I mean, there's highways there. There's some of the infrastructure is yeah. already there. It's definitely not in Chicago. 
that one's much further out. I don't know how you sell that as like being part of Chicago. You might as well be like the Rockford Bears at that point. <laughs> um, but Romeoville his, maybe is Romeoville getting any love on the stadium uh, front? I mean, they've got room. They've got plenty of space. <laughs> I think that's the funny thing about like Waukegan too. Like when you look at some of these spots, it's like Arlington Heights to me was cool, but I was like, you're gonna have to tear down a lot of stuff. Like yeah, Arlington Heights there was is no, a like, natural place where it's like, wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, outside of Churchill Downs Incorporated, which owned um, which owned Arlington Park, right. there really wasn't any like space. You're like, oh, that would be a good site for a stadium. Yeah. So I think you're going to have to tear down a lot of stuff. Waukegan, like there's stuff to tear down. Like I, I, I we used to literally like sneak into like the little factory thing along the the uh, lakefront just because there was nothing there. It was empty. So, like, there's space to tear stuff down. Uh, Arlie, or, uh, you know, Romeoville, maybe. Uh, Rockford be, Rockford would be tough. Like, that'd be, you're going to house the Ice Hogs and the Chicago Bears in the same city? Like, that'd be wild. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I guess I don't know who would have the upper hand there. If, I mean, God, you brought, the, you brought the Rockford Ice Hogs into this, so... It's interesting. I just, I don't think that these will be the last two cities that we hear of. Yeah. And, you know, not that Chicago was, had a meeting, not that Mayor Brandon Johnson had a meeting specifically about the stadium. We can infer that, but there was nothing that like came through like with a full on official bid of stay here, new, ma- new, you know, leadership in the city of Chicago will, will give you a better proposal for Soldier Field. Yeah. But I bet by the time the summer's over a month from now, we might have like two or three more different names that come into the mix, trying to entice the bears to go there. It's going to become that like in hip hop when when somebody throws out a diss track to like all of hip hop and then like random people who weren't even brought up in it start dropping diss tracks. It's like, okay, like we uh, nice, nice track, but we weren't actually paying attention to you. We don't need that. We didn't need that. We didn't. <laughs> I was like, who did that? Uh, Kendrick, when Kendrick did, um, I can't think of the diss track with J. Cole or with uh, Big Sean, I should say. And then, like, Lupe Fiasco dropped the diss track back. I was like, come on, Lou. We didn't. We didn't. It. He was like, I wasn't mentioned. It was like, okay, all right, you got it, bud. Um, I mean, I think this is all going to get very interesting. At the end of the day, like you said, does this more than likely finish in Arlington Heights, though? I would be hard-pressed as of right now to say it does not. Yeah. It makes sense that the... Hail Mary opportunities are coming in, but at the end of this, there's going to be some sort of push. Like, let's say there's like really no like change in what's going forward with the Chicago bears and, you know, Arlington Heights, there's going to have to be something that kind of tips the conversation in one direction because you can't just have like the stalemate. Either the bears would have to take one of these teams, one of these other cities seriously, or they'd have to somehow find the funding to cover the cost that they were not anticipating or, you know, push that through to, to, to see whether they can get, you know, taxpayers of that area to, to fund it, which is a big ask, but I, I am just confident that this saga will not be closed for a minute. And this could very well delay the process of getting the stadium built. We don't know, but until we hear one way or another, where the bears are going forward, any city that has the capability, or even if you don't just throw a hail Mary and see if, yeah. if they would take a meeting with you. 
Hey, North Chicago, get in the mix, man. You still got Chicago in the name. I we mean, also have sense. a lakefront. We got plenty of stuff to tear down. We got plenty of stuff to tear down. Don't worry about it. Hey, man, appreciate you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Bears Packers games in Waukegan would be wild, though. That would be crazy. I would love that. I'm not going to lie. Much closer for... Packers fans. I mean, it's not all that much closer. Waukegan's right below the Wisconsin border, so I guess I guess yeah, it's a little that's right. Closer. That's right on the other side of Kenosha, basically. I mean, you yeah. got Zion and then Waukegan, so yeah. But uh, hit that like button, subscribe to the page. Let us know how you guys are feeling in the comments below. Drop a bird down if you made it all the way to the end, man. Let us know you're a real Bears fan out here. Appreciate all the love as always for Courtney Cronin, this your boy Pat the Designer, back at it again. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Peace. <laughs>